Osiris. Welcome to the Saint Disruption Podcast, where brilliant musicians, poets, and visionaries come together to share their creative collaborations and explore what it means to be human in these times. Well, welcome, everybody. I am so delighted to um, to be with you in this new episode of the Saint Disruption Podcast. Today, we are debuting a new uh, music and poetry work that was recently minted by our special guests, uh, Poetica and Vernon Reed. And um, I think today we're going to have a pretty exciting discussion about how that was unpacked and all the beautiful and I think very relevant layers of meaning that uh, that are in both the poem and the music. So, um, so our other esteemed guests, in addition to uh, legendary guitarist and change maker Vernon Reed, um, Poetica, who hails from London and is one of uh, London's you know, great bright, bright shining stars of of poetry, performance, poetry, and music. And um, we're also joined by um, the Saint Disruption Podcast co-host John Medeski and legendary lyricist, songwriter, composer Brian Jackson. So, welcome everyone. It's so great to be here with you. It's good to be here, Jeff. Thank you. Good to be here. But you finally see faces. I've spoken to a lot of people in the last seven months on the on the, the email, so it's nice to actually, you know, absolutely. So, um, to kick us off, without uh, without further ado, we're going to uh, have a listen. This is the debut of Storyteller Nation by word lyrics by Poetica and music by Vernon Reed. That's us. Just, yeah. right. That's you. Hey, hey, this is the first I'm, time we've ever seen each other. It's completely wild to me. Crazy. I mean, I got I got a Tweety cup, so it just, the wind is All right, here we go. here anymore ain't been seeing it nor feeling it where's the spark i've spent much of continuum in the dark removed from time and space remove these rhymes from face so in transit the messages can find their place i encrypt missing hieroglyphs on press papyrus reads making it hard to read so our wicked foes and enemies can stay far from we Sending ravens and smoke signals to other villages Request an audience with the king with special honours and privileges Request an audience with the queen Calling the scribes, the magis Everyone draped in golds and greens The dreams I've seen, I know what they mean The images deep in between the subconscious machine See? Living, laughing through the pain and ting, yearning whilst giving, grafted till I get my wings, flying now, soaring through the ethers, sandman for the sleepers, whilst my feet stay planted on the ground in my sneakers, me crept them, get me to the mic, and now I'm coming through your speakers. 
woman who listens to her intuition Feminine warrior women steady in their positions We got metal knives and metal minds The spirit's strong, don't break the line You never break formation In the drama, warrior, storyteller nations I've never needed a reason to rhyme Just inspiration and a season of time I season with time These lines manifest themselves Its job is to channel and find the space to align. The answers are here. Storytelling nation. Epic. Epic. Vernon. <laughs> Poetica. My goodness. It, it's funny to hear it because I did the earlier version was a little bit different. And kind of had more electronic bass and blah, blah, blah. And Poetica gave me some notes, really good notes. And then I kind of brought in the more African percussion, you know what I mean? And then I, and I played an electric, I actually played bass and took the yeah. synth bass out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, and I, and, and, and in working with it, like it was a continuous poem. When when I first heard it, yeah. and then I put in like kind of like line breaks mm -hmm. for 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 space, yeah. and um, you know I I think it worked. I hope you liked it, <laughs> you know. But uh, uh but you gave really good no you gave really good notes, and then uh, you know and uh and uh you know I responded to those notes that you gave me, and uh, I'm I'm really proud of the piece, and uh, it's it's a fantastic poem. It's a kind of, it's like almost like a griot mission statement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing just collaborating with you anyway. So it's different when you're not there and you sort of just yeah. send your things and you're <laughs> right. and it's like, okay, let's see how it sounds from this other end of things, you know, from another, another exactly. person and, and just seeing how it marries together. So yeah, it's, it's always a journey. It's always oh. a journey when it comes to spoken word because there's no structure. <laughs> right. Right. And it could go any one of different ways. I kind of initially when I heard it, I thought about, you know, kind of Linton Quasi Johnson a little bit. And I conceived it a little bit as a as a dub. And and then, you know, I when you mentioned that, I said, Oh, you know what? Let me think about the African, you know, kind of percussion mm -hmm. and the way they play against the Western kind of trap drums. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm happy you liked it because I was like, on, like, serve seriously on. I sent it, sent it out, and then I'm like, okay. So, it's different. It's different than what I imagined it, but sometimes there isn't any sound when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just I'm just writing, and 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 the words are a melody of their own because exactly. most of the spoken word and poetry is a cappella and without anything accompanying it. So right. it's it's interesting to hear what you hear. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. it's just, what's interesting, what was interesting to me is that all of the things that you, you all just mentioned were the things that stood out to me the most. Like you mentioned the, you mentioned the, the lyrics, the vocals, you mentioned the bass, you mentioned that the, the African percussion. Um, and those were the things that the first things that like really caught, you know, that really caught me and, and caught my attention the most. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the, you know, like I love the way you put the, the six, eight underneath 
you know, right. yeah. the, for the the bata feel, you know, of uh, exactly. you know that that really. I just learned. I just learned what a sick ape is. Like huh? today, I just learned what that was today. Like music, I'm learning piano. You see, I just come from a lesson, and she's like, "Oh, the sixth eighth," and I'm like, "What? Yeah, the sixth eighth. The, the, the you know, and the six, and then I was just like, "What is all? It's like learning another language." So I was just like, "Oh, that's good. I just learned that an hour ago." <laughs> and here we are talking about it. <laughs> no, I mean that was that was brilliant. You know, that was brilliant because to me. Whenever I hear, you know, a six-eight rhythm, and particularly when I hear it done with bata drums, it always brings me back to, um, to to uh, to the the West African traditions. You know, it always brings right. me, it always focuses me, you know, mm-hmm. you know, back on the on the root of of black music. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was really that was really great. You know, it's just a piece of the tree, a piece of the root, right there in the middle of it. Well, well, man, that's a lot. That means a lot to me coming from you. You know, it means a lot. And um, and part of the thing is the I I was inspired partly by thinking about about like um, like the stuff that Herbie Hancock did, like right before, like post Miles, and right before Headhunters. You know, the sextant. You know what I mean type of thing. And the way he used kind of sequencing, like the Patrick Gleason art type of sequencing yeah. as a kind of, you know, this also like thinking about like my favorite weather report record, Mysterious Traveler, like the first track, Nubian Sundance, the whole I, the conception of right. Africa. It's almost like pre-Wakanda, you know, Africa as a, as a kind of electronic ritual space. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and how that's very current now in terms of the hip hop and trap music coming out of the continent, you know. So that's all with a little bit of the Caribbean dub vibe as well, you know. So I love the adjectives, you know. I'm a wordsmith. I'm just a sucker for anything. Obvious. Sounds good audibly, but um, it's I felt like I was like this traveling phantom being just, yeah, traveling, telling stories. I mean. Being a griot is it's the oldest thing in the world, really, in terms of exactly media or performing or just without anything else, just the person and that sound and that power. So, yeah, well, it's also the kind of concept of even you know the art ensemble has this thing, black music, ancient to future, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea now that's very current is like the Afrofuturism, projecting oneself into the future and to take kind of really old values really old ancestral values and combine the ancestral with emergence, you know, like emergent technology, um, emergent modalities of expression. So we have like the, 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 in a way, these kind of primal, very old stories, but you're a young person, a young woman who's connected to those old, old, values and bringing them forward through time honestly introduced me as someone who's about a thousand and one years old it's just like a it's a it's a not a running thing across the poets in london but it's just everyone knows it's going to be it's going to sound mystical or biblical or spiritual and it's just this it's a story it's like i take people into this zone and they are there for that time 
and then I release them back into the into the world <laughs> as as normal humans, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, the title Storyteller Nation, you know, and everything that we've been saying so far is really, um, Brian. I love your articulation. We're moving forward in a very punctuated evolutionary time now, and and sometimes the best way to move forward is to make sure you remember what the ancestral medicine, the ancestral wisdom is. And this idea of storyteller nation, you know, when I, when I saw that title poetic, it, it got me so excited because, because storytelling is the original learning. It is the original way that we find a place of, of reference and anchor in, in this universe that can be very confusing and very, uh, um, very challenging. And we don't, as human beings, as two-leggeds on this planet, we have spent most of our time learning in circles around a fire with our elders, you know, in nature, listening to nature, not in a friggin' classroom. So, so much of what your poet poem evokes is, and, and, and Vernon, the music, the, the music behind it just evokes this sense of, okay, folks, we are really... Um, we're accelerated moving forward and it's really so important to look back to really understand what made humanity successful in in the ancient times yeah so much of it is so much of it is 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 lost i mean that's one of the most incredible things to me is the idea of recorded history which is not all of history in fact we have the merest fraction you know what I mean? We have the tiniest bit, like um, when, like when the Nag Hammadi scrolls, you know, were found. Like tr people have been burning, have been burning the scrolls for for like firewood, and then somebody said, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't burn those." So, yeah. so whatever they recovered, they already yeah. burnt like a gang of those scrolls, and it's and it's those kind of things that are so shocking. You know what I mean? And so, like, funny because we we'll accept a certain narrative. Yes. But the thing is, that narrative. There's also another narrative. There are other narratives that contribute to that narrative, and and we can't. I mean, depending on how much speculation or detective work you're prepared to do, yeah. You know, like we leave we'll leave certain things out, like Shaka Zulu, right? You know, Shaka Zulu was not defeated by, you know, colonialism. His brothers, you know, there was family rivalry, yeah. right? So when you get like the calendar, the, you know, the calendar that's the, the, the Budweiser <laughs> calendar back in the days, right? They had these kind of black history calendars and they, they, they'd have like a personage and say, he, Shaka Zulu was a great African leader. And it's and it's great. You take it and you say he was never defeated by the you know by by the British or the the Boers or whatever. And then you find out, oh yeah, but sibling rivalry did, did him in, which is also about family, right? And the whole notion of family is funny because family is like you know we 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 drag that out, and it's kind of like yeah, man, because we want to assume that family is positive, the hearth and all like that. No, that's not. Necessarily, right? Necessarily, yeah. Right? Not necessarily. And the things that we see 
That's the funny thing about stories and narratives because everybody has them and everybody utilizes them, mm-hmm. you know, for good and ill. And that's that's also part of the um, the, the why stories are important is because not just the t- like Poetica is telling the story, but it's the way it's her voice. It's the story she's telling, but it's her voice telling the story. And it's it's actually two stories in one. Hmm. It's interesting what you say about what, what you uh, first started mentioning about the the burning of the, the burning of the scrolls. You know, and it, it's kind of an example that um, of, of the fact that we always seem to undervalue knowledge over, you know, we always seem to undervalue knowledge over, quote unquote, survival, you know, as if knowledge was not essential to to survival, you know, as though it, it's it's some secondary thing, you know, well, after I eat, you know, then I can learn, <laughs> you know, but right. you have to learn to eat. You know, you, you, everything everything begins with knowledge, and it always seems to take you know to take a back seat in our in our evolutionary process. Yeah. Here, until, here, until yeah. we don't, <laughs> until can't, until until we need that knowledge, and then a lot of times, as you you know, as you pointed out, it's it's burnt. We we burned yeah. it up. Yeah. Could that undervaluing be because we are not? storytelling we're not learning by storytelling you know the thing that's that makes storytelling different than teaching is that storytelling is like it gives the person's whole body their whole essence the opportunity to receive it where teaching is like it's your you know mind to mind head to head um you know when i've sat with elders it's a different experience receiving the wisdom, the information than sitting in the classroom. It's a whole body experience. And somehow that brings it into a different place in terms of priority and importance, I think. I think because you're relearning the information multiple times um, and you become the student and the teacher simultaneously kind of the same way where ancestors and descendants simultaneously. But the first bit of information is when I'm downloading the information right. and it's coming through. The second part that I'm learning about is when I'm writing it down. And then when mm-hmm. I'm giving it back, then I'm learning it again. And then every time I read it, I'm learning it again, but I'm learning like it's new. I could read something like three years later and I'm like, wow, that's some serious scrollage. Like, how did I do that? I don't know. It's there mm-hmm. coming you know, I'm learning it, but I'm also teaching by by reciting, by giving it, by being a poet. Um, someone basically bowed to me on my gig on Friday. I was like, that was powerful. They kept saying, that's powerful, that's powerful. For me, it's normal. Now. Right. <laughs> that's normal now. I'm like, this is just how information comes through. Exactly. For me. <laughs> you know, I hardly, well, like- hardly any of it. I didn't read it. It's just... It's it's a gathering of what I already know, and then new data, and then it makes this thing. Downloading, I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, some teachers are. I mean, I think it's like any other vocation on a level. Like there's there are teachers who are born to it, who are really good at it, who are inspiring, just like teaching or anything else. You know, there's like you. The teachers that that inspired us are really like the same teacher. They have an enthusiasm. They have a sense of humor. 
They have a deep knowledge. They can, they have insight into what each student, the way people learn. We give, I mean, the systems are primed to kind of um, teach a kind of medium, you know what I mean? An averaged out quote unquote person. And then there's this, and there's always a meta factor. There's always a meta, another story going along with the story. Like the person who teaching, winding up in a classroom was not really their plan for their life. So they're, they're faced with these children or they're faced with their students and they kind of hate being there, but it's a job. So they're doing the job that they have to do. So that person is going to be a terrible teacher. They hate where they are. They resent the fact that whatever didn't happen in their own narrative didn't happen. And the person, the other entity or person who's really digs it, who's really into books, who's really into math, who's really into it, they can transmit a bit of their passion, a bit of their of their love, if you will. And some students, you know, and students will yawn and roll their eyes. But out of that, some students will pick up on that. They will pick up on that. You can pick up on when the teacher has a has a thought about who you are as an identity. You pick up on that. Kids pick up on if an adult doesn't really want to be in the room. They pick up on it. I, I remember I had a teacher who came in. Uh, and she, uh, what was it? She was teaching what subject? She taught math. And she had a way of just getting everyone to listen to her was a myth because she never raised her voice. And she just, she didn't react to disrupt. She didn't react to people acting out. But she would, she had a quiet way of saying, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 da. And, and you had you to kind of go, what? What, what did she say? Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's you know, true. And she was interesting because she was, was un- she was interesting because she was unflappable. Like she didn't, you know, she said, okay, whatever. See if you're really listening to the teacher. Like, did you just catch what I said? If not, okay. You know. <laughs> I feel I feel like the best teachers that I had for whatever it was, whether it was they they always seemed to embody what it was they were teaching. You know, it wasn't they were just passing on this knowledge. They were, you know, as they, they, Im- I mean, which is not, which actually parallels what Poetic was saying about, you know, the, I mean, whether the knowledge is, is received or downloaded or whether it's learned, if you embody it and then if you really embody it when you present it, people are going to feel it, you know, and I think that's like where the storytelling tradition is, you know. And I think the best teachers kind of are like that. They're kind of like storytellers, you know, whatever it is. Absolutely. Mm. You know, I just, uh, someone, you know, that, you know, when you have so any kind of teaching, whether it's received or, or from someone else, it's like you then, you know, if you really feel it, you, and it's really something you resonate with and you're resonating a certain way. And then when you present it, that resonance is felt, you know, by other people, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I was wondering, um, because I feel like you know, it's sort of also like this ties into for me, you know, when we talk about like, you know, oh, you know, what are your influences? You know, and, and people I say, well, I'm influenced by John Coltrane and um 
and you know, I've never met John Coltrane, nor have I been in the room with him. I've listened to his records. So like, that's always my thing. What do you mean? You're, I mean, you know, or, or when they, when writers talk about something you're doing, they say you're influenced by, he's influenced by this or that. But, you know, I mean, I think you're influenced by who you actually have some sort of transmission contact with. Mm. You know, it doesn't even have to be in the, uh, the field that you're talking about. You know, it can be any, you know, it can be anything, you know, who, you know, who are your influences? It could be from, doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be just within the, you know, the form that you're working in. It can be from absolutely anything. I was kind of wondering, like, poetically, what you're, what you consider, like, what are some, you know, a couple of your most profound, your profound influences? I think just the intricacy and the science of music, because I think, I don't know what it is. I think my brain's just been built like this but I when I listen to music just even a regular song I'm in there like I'm in there like I compose the thing okay my brain's trying to break down the instruments but it's just the fact that there's this phenomenon that I know for a fact is older than the planet you know and completely transcendent and out of this dimension and we just have access to it now um so I think it's just music in general. And when YouTube came out and then there's this world and I'm like 13, 14 and I can just keep typing and typing and typing in music and it just never ends. And it was blowing my mind at the time, just in general. And I'm like probably the only 13 or 14 year old that's typing in things like, yeah, Muddy Waters, you know, Billie Holiday. I'm telling you, I'm not actually 30. Outside, it's just, it's it's just always made sense to me. So I think listening to that kind of music of my own volition um, from a very early adolescent, that's what's done it. And I've just, I think I've just gotten deeper and deeper into that. Um, like I understood jazz at 15 and then I'll ask somebody else, you know, do, do you know, do you know any jazz? It's like, I don't, I think if I listened to jazz, I wouldn't know what it was. And in my heart, I'm like, <laughs> you know, skip a couple of beats. What did you just say? But, I had to remember that you're not like everybody else. <laughs> you know, you mm -hmm. don't get music the same way everybody else does. Um, I think I'm just in love with it. I'm in love with sound and vibration and what it does to you. Um, and I think, yeah, most of my inspiration. Like you said, I draw from poets, novelists. Um, I'm a big movie film fanatic. So I can get inspired by a movie or a quote and then just write a whole, po a whole poem. Um, based on like a, maybe a sentiment or a, an exchange of energy that I've seen in a movie. Um, yeah, could be anything. Could be what anything. are your top five movies? I don't think I have that anymore. It used to be short. Okay, 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 okay. No, no, take it back. Okay. okay. <laughs> pick, pick out, pick out five of your favorites. Let's put it like pick out five of your favorites. I'm, I'm such a film person. I really, really can't think right now. But it's usually something that has an effect on me or an influence on me in terms of the writing or the music. Because mm -hmm. I'll go and listen to movie soundtracks and not watch the movie for years at a time. But I feel like I'm watching the movie just by listening to the to the soundtrack. So those are the ones that get me. So if Bill Street could talk, yeah, that. Okay. But I can't watch some movies a lot because it's it's I'm such a emotional watery empathic person i don't like feeling those things over and over again you know i don't like crying on airplanes it's embarrassing 
Oh my oh, god! Really? <laughs> I watched the that. I, I, I pulled my hoodie over my head. I'm like, okay, God. Okay, what movie? What movie had you crying on an airplane? Oh, I, the stu- the stupidest ones will do that to me. <laughs> oh, now, 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 I really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you consider a stupid movie? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, you. Oh, oh, yeah, you do. I actually can't think of anything to pick up. Just, just think about like you know, just like just watching something kind of mindless on a plane, and then you know. Just, like, like I say, just get. I feel. I feel it so much yeah. that, like, like I don't. It might be know. something silly, like, oh yeah, they won the the, the jump rope competition. Yeah. <laughs> the humans. Uh, yes. Why do I know that? It's just, when, it's when they got me sniveling, when they got <laughs> me like sniveling like a like a baby was. Uh, <laughs> I was and I was with my daughters. You know, they were my they were teenagers at the time. A thousand words, that Eddie Murphy movie. You know. Yeah. And, uh, it was something, you know, it was something about it at the, at the end. I, I can't, I don't even remember right now, but I just, all of a sudden, I just, I just broke down and I couldn't, I just couldn't stop crying. And then I realized at some point that it was about, you know, my mom had just passed away like a couple of years ago and it was somehow related to, to, you know, some kind of feel, some feeling that I had about our relationship or, you know, or something. And it just, and that, that was it. Through the story of the movie. Say that again? Through the story of the movie. The movie the did story that. of the movie. Or someone, had to, someone had to write, think of that, write that down so you could be like, oh, my God. And then, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, if it's good, I guess if, if a writer is good, they are able to do that. You know, they're, they, they're able to, to make something so basic that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who is saying it or who is experiencing it. It it has something, some element of of truth for you know for everybody. It has some element of of one's own life in in it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I remember the movie. One movie that I that was really moving to me was um, this movie called Life uh, with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's, it's directed by Ted Demi. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of a dramedy, and it's it's a really moving film and they said you better not touch nobody nobody better touch my cornbread or they're gonna be consequence consequences and repercussions. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what you believe. <laughs> I don't care what you believe. <laughs> that was that was yeah that was a great movie. You know and it was awesome because it wasn't fake. It was like actually these two guys are sent to prison for something they didn't do. And they and it really and it really it's like life. Like they are it's not like Nobody comes in. No lawyer comes in to you know. You know, no get, it, it, it was, yeah, and it was very, very real. Another movie that was, I, I think I was mad because I was so so emotional. Was Toy Story three? <laughs> Everyone said that when it was like Toy Story three when the toys are on the conveyor when they're on the conveyor belt. And they all and they all t- and they all gra- when they like they're done. They're going into the fire. <laughs> and they and they all take and they all join hands and like I remember people were, were audibly bawling in the theater like audibly crying I was like wow and then and then later on it started coming I said yo man did you see Toy Story three yo it, it messed me up <laughs> you've just been attached to these toys for so long you know since what ninety nine four when did Toy Story come out or something. 
Oh my God, you know, I mean, and the premises of that are so thick. And it's really about this kid growing up and he puts the toys in the, you know, and this whole thing. It's also about, it, there's a powerful thing about children growing up too mm-hmm. that's yeah. in there, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we lose, it's strangely enough, my, my daughter just turned 20 and and she's traveling. She's in, she's she turned twenty in Paris, so she's having you know she's like living that life. You know what I mean? But it's just wild because I was thinking about it. Like the transition from nineteen to twenty is deep. Nineteen. It really is a deep one. Yeah, because like like you are leaving being a teenager. That is over. Yeah, and being that age at this time in history too. I mean, it's it's been rough for for folks that age for sure. The pandemic, the economic people, kids are just getting their feet underneath them, and all of a sudden, the feet knocked out from underneath them. It's rough. Yeah, there's a lot of healing that's going to have to go down. My 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 nephew didn't get to do his 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 walk, his graduation walk, and he didn't take it well. He didn't take it well. So on that, you know, on that on that note, I'm really curious, Poetica. You're you're so woven into the the London and and UK poetry and performance poetry scene. And I was born into the sorrow, thought I'd never love again. This you say this little blackbird leaving morsels. I no longer had to tire these wings for in search of sustenance to nourish a soul that felt the fatigue that made its way to the future to greet me just as I arrived at the point. Damn, it's been a long flight. But before we have this long kiss goodnight, we'll continue to wait upon the next pulse of purity to illuminate the way. Tell us a little bit about the climate. Are 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 the younger people that you're working with, are they hopeful? Are they frustrated? What's happening? I think life just is a bit more open for them in terms of they're not at the age where it's a bit like, oh, I better start sorting my life out. Otherwise, this is not going to happen like where I am right now. I'm at this very transitional um, moment where I'm like, yeah, I better change. Otherwise, the next decade's not going to be anything resembling what I would like like it to be. Uh, But I think if you're under like 22, it's not, you've still got all of this figuring out to do and it's it's a weird time but it's still a very open and um, opportunistic time I think I just made that one up um but I think it's a little bit better for them especially in spoken word they're just they're just going for it they've got the energy you know a lot of them aren't working full-time like a lot of us and they're just they're at all the events and the gigs and they're getting noticed and then there's my age groups of it like, oh, yeah, I've got to handle this. And then this has got to be done as well in the balance. And do I actually just want to be a poet or am I a musician? You know, or am I just a script writer? And so I think when you're younger, it's just generally more hopeful. <laughs> they have a bit more time and people are snapping them up because they have the energy to continuously go to gigs and events and network and, you know, People give younger people money to do things. <laughs> so that's one, that's another thing. They can go to the studio and afford it a little bit more. People are getting more grants and, you know, there are things out there. I think it just depends who has got the uh, the drive to 
continue because being an artist in general is just it's interesting what i mean what so for you was it like was it just the drive was it sitting on youtube checking out billy holiday and as a kid that made you want to do this or were there people in your life that did you have encouragement to do this was there i mean any models in your life actual or was everything just you know coming from you just this and from just being inspired by music and jazz and then you know putting that into words Pretty much. Um, I started off by sending really nice text messages to people and the little uh, Walkman, probably tiny now by the time you hold up a smartphone and those little orangey black things. But oh, look, that was a really nice text. Oh, my name's Chelsea in real life. That was a really nice text, Chelsea. Yeah, that was, you know. And I thought, oh, the words do sound okay. So I started writing in the notes and then I started writing in a book and then from about yeah, 16, 17, I was jotting down. And then I got a little bit older and thought, I don't have to try to be good at this. And then I felt like, oh, my, this, I think this might be my gift. I think this might be the thing, you know, that I didn't have to try to be. It just is yeah. what it is, you know. Um, a lot of people never find what that is. Uh, mm. But I just realized, I was like, I don't have to, I'm always going to get better and improved compared to what, you know, what the skill set was like back then in terms of oration and delivery and tone and writing in general. Um, but it's the one thing I was like, I don't, no one had to teach me to be a poet. No one had to teach me to be a writer, do you know what I mean? Or put that, that, that fire in me. That was just, that evolved on its own. When would you say that you noticed the actual passion for it? Did it did it happen around that time, or you know, was it something that you could have could feel that was already building up? Um, I think during my years at uni, so between eighteen and twenty one, I'm away, you know, schooling and trying to get a degree and things like that. But living away from home, that was my time to just explore, um, especially where you have a laptop and for the first time you're away from home and you just, okay, I can listen to the music I want to listen to. I'm starting to collect vinyls and records for the first time in my life and still buying CDs and people were still, you know, CDs were still a thing, you know, 12 years ago, just about. Um, yeah. And watching like all the Spike Lee movies and watching hidden colors and then all the knowledge and the information was just like, I had a chance to just do it you know, and not be distracted by the things, you know, the places that I grew up in and yeah. Southeast London, things like that. So, um, yeah, it just, the movies and the, the music and discovering things for myself as a young adult, um, that's, that, that really was like, wow, this means something to me. I'm going to gigs. I was going to just pay for tickets and go to gigs and um, hear other artists live and hip hop was a thing at the time I was just, I'm a hip hop head initially. So that's where the, the bars and the, the lyricism is just, yeah. Yeah. I'm in love with it, honestly. And I was like, I really, this makes sense to me. And if it makes sense to me, then I was just, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going with it. You also have a very cinematic approach, okay. you know, like if, colors and, you know, and, and, I hear all of I hear all of that in you and and Vernon when 
the music that the music that you did, you know, I felt that 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 also helped to bring to bring out that approach. Felt like um, that Poetica is telling a larger than life story, but telling a larger than life, you know, really just kind of um, again saying almost giving why she's a poet, you know, why, you know, what, you know, what she's connected to. And that, that, that was very strong to the felt that came across very strong to me. And then just, just kind of chopping it up into phrases just felt right to give it like, you know, to find a particular line and go, okay, so we're going to have like eight bars or whatever it was in between the next stanza, you know, because there were so many definitive statements that felt that, that, you know what I mean? And just, okay. And then coming back into it. So it was really, it was very, it was a beautiful piece to work with. It's a beautiful piece to, it was a beautiful piece to work with. And, and, and I was really thankful for that because sometimes you get something that's just like, you hear something and say, I don't know where to, okay, how was, is this going to, how, what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and that can be a beautiful challenge too, but it felt like um, Storyteller Nation, Storyteller Nation is very much um, a, like a manifesto. Like it's a kind of, a kind of, a kind of manifesto to me. And, and that, the, the sense of a larger, that it was personal, but that poetic is dealing with forces that are much larger and a, and a remit that's much larger. You know what I mean? Then her own, it's almost like, okay, I'm a representative of this impulse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that I think that's part of what the larger, the, the cinematic is, this, what cinematic is, you either have to be really larger than life or you have to be so narrow and confined that it, that it takes, it, it's that other kind of movie, right? Yeah. Hmm. So. And to wrap it up with that last line, you know, reminding everybody that the answers are already here. <laughs> I, I just loved it because it, for me, it was such a, that whole piece is such a reminder um, in a strange way. It's, it hits me and the music too is, is really anchors. This is, it's, it's kind of like about sovereignty and reminds me, I don't need to go outside looking that there's the, that what I need is inside the answers are already here. I loved, I love that about the poem, the kind of this, not in your face, but, really rich call to to yourself and to sovereignty the saint disruption podcast recorded and mixed by hamilton media design at sidehouse records we will continue this dialogue with poetica and vernon reed regarding their collaboration of poetry and music titled storyteller nation in part two of this episode osiris oh,